Well, again, good morning. My name is Joe Finnessy. For those of you who haven't met me, uh, as you heard from Pastor Pete, I am the assistant youth director here at Maple Valley Church. And every now and then, thank you guys. Every now and then, some people think I'm one of the high schoolers. Like, no joke, the last service, one of the ladies came up and she was like, I thought you were one of the high schoolers. Why are you up there? My wife, Jill, and I just recently moved back from New Jersey, and we spent the last three years there, and let me just say, we are so excited to be back in the Pacific Northwest, Uh, and we are so happy to have found a church home here with you at Maple Valley. Uh, We love it here, and we hope to stay for quite a while, and of course, this is all going to depend on Pastor Pete and Lindsay Bunn and how pleased she is or not with my work over the year, so we'll see how that goes. Pastor Pete asked me to uh, give a sermon on Genesis 12 about a month ago, and so I've been really hard at work trying to do my best to cut down all the material I've been wanting to share with you. Um, You see, I grew up in the Korean church, and one of the great things about Korean churches is that you get all the time in the world to get your message across, uh, even if it takes a couple hours. (laughs) But, you know, there's, there's a beauty also to the way that Presbyterians, and especially Presbyterian Americans, do church. One of them is that you guys don't have 4 a.m. services, and you don't expect your pastors to be there, thanks be to God. And the second thing that I really enjoy is that when you come to church, you can expect to leave, and the sun will still be out, and the Seahawks will only be in the second quarter. Uh, So with that said, I do appreciate what you guys do here, your culture here. I want to be sensitive about your time so I can guarantee that this message will be no longer than a regular episode of The Office. So you can hold me to that and you can set your timers now. Uh, Chapter 12 of Genesis is a hinge text in the book. And Genesis is divided into two main sections. Uh, All the sermons you heard up till now are from chapters 1 through 11, and they make up the first part of Genesis, which is called the history, uh, or it's called the primeval history. And then the second part, all the sermons you're going to hear after today from chapters 13 through 50 make up the second part, which is called the history of the patriarchs. And in between these two bodies of text, you have chapter 12, which serves to connect and bring these two histories together. And it's in chapter 12, we not only get the main message of Genesis, but one of the main messages of the Old Testament itself. But before we get there, I want to help put Genesis 12 into context for you by um, answering these two really important questions. And the first question is this, uh, what's the story that comes before Genesis 12? And how does Genesis 12 fit into that story? And then the second question is, what significance did Genesis 12 have for its original audience? Uh, What did it mean for them? So let's begin with the first question. Uh, What what comes before Genesis chapter 12 is a story that follows a fourfold pattern or a four-part pattern. And the pattern goes something like this. You start with creation, then it goes to fall, then you have punishment, and finally you have recreation. Again, one more time, you have creation, fall, punishment, and you end with recreation. Let me show you how the story of Genesis kind of follows this pattern. First, God creates the world, he creates everything that's in it, and he creates human beings. And he calls human beings to live in relationship with him and to trust him. 
But then Adam and Eve are deceived to determine good and evil for themselves. And so they take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what follows is this downward spiral of human sin and wickedness. And it gets so bad that God is grieved in his heart and he decides to do a control out delete on creation by sending a catastrophic flood. Except there was one man who was blameless and righteous in his generation. And his name was Noah. And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God took Noah his family, and two of every kind of animal and placed them into an ark and saved them. Soon, the floodwaters receded. God recreates the world. And God calls Noah and his family to live in relationship with him again. If Steve Bodwell was here this morning, this is the part in the story where he would be going, woo, right? Because this is such a good ending. It's such a happy ending. I mean, God restores his relationship with humanity. Noah and his family are having a barbecue outside. God sets a rainbow in the sky. Cool and the gang is playing somewhere in the background. I mean, by all accounts, this should be a good, happy ending. And it lasts for about a verse or two. (laughs) Because what happens is the pattern repeats itself all over again. God creates the world again, but then human beings sin again. Just as Adam and Eve ate from the tree, Noah drinks from the vine. And what follows is another downward spiral of sin and wickedness that culminates with a group of people who decide to rebel against God and build a tower. And as Pastor Pete mentioned last week, that didn't turn out too well. God punished them by scattering them and confusing their language. And so the primeval history ends with this cliffhanger. You have creation, fall, punishment, and it just ends on chapter 11. And it makes you wonder, what happens next? And if you think about it, if you think about the pattern, what happens next has to be recreation, right? According to the pattern that we just followed. Except... This is where you get that awkward record scratch noise that you hear on TV sitcoms usually uh, because the story that follows is introduces us to two characters who are less than promising and their names are Abram and Sarai. Now, the text doesn't tell us too much about these two characters, but what little it says isn't really all that helpful. Abram is 75 years old But unlike Noah, we're not told of anything that makes him special or distinguished or anything like that. We're just told Abram's 75 and his father's name is Terah. And he has some brothers. But to make matters worse, we're also told that his wife Sarai has been barren her entire life. In other words, the point in Genesis, the part of the story where we're supposed to expect the theme of recreation we are introduced to two characters who have no ability to create anything on their own. In fact, it begins with a couple who has tried time and time again over the past 70 years to produce life and to start a family, only to be disappointed and only to be reminded by their very names of what they are not. 
Abram, meaning exalted father, is no father without any kids. And Sarai, meaning princess, uh, has no honor as an infertile woman living in a society that values offspring and descendants. And so we're met with this problem, this question by the end of this introduction, and the question goes something like this. Really? Like, are we really supposed to depend on these two characters? Does the hope for recreation really rest on their shoulders? I want to leave that problem hanging a little bit, and I'm going to return to that problem, but I want to shift your attention to the second question I brought up. Um, What was the significance of Genesis chapter 12 to its original audience? Pastor Pete uh, has been uh, teaching us in the earlier sermons about how Moses wrote the book of Genesis while the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses wrote the book of Genesis in order to teach the Israelites about their beginnings, about where they came from. And so you can imagine when the Israelites read about Abram and Sarai, they would have been in shock and awe to have learned that they come from such humble beginnings, right? Perhaps they would have even thought, wow, like we thought we saw some miracles in Egypt, but who knew that our existence in and of itself was a miracle coming from two people over the age of 70 who were infertile. However, scholars suggest that uh, chapter 12 actually gains more significance over time, so much so that it it grows in significance and it has a lot of meaning for an audience 500 years after Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, Moses didn't have this future audience in mind when he was writing Genesis, but God sure did. And God used the words of Moses to speak new life into a new generation of Israelites 500 years later. Now, how do we know this? Uh, One of the reasons why we think this is because um, if you look at the Abram and Sarai story, there's a detail that often gets overlooked, and it's this. Abram and Sarai are from Ur and Haran. And I know you're not going, ooh, like, yes. Um, You're not opening your Bible... (laughs) And you're not highlighting Ur and Haran and Instagramming it and then putting a hashtag morning devo. It's not something that pops out. (laughs) And it didn't pop out for the Israelites either. Um, But Ur and Haran would have rung many bells and would have caught the attention of a different community 500 years later. And this community is called the Exiles. Let me explain this by showing you a map, but also giving you a real quick five-minute recap of the Old Testament. Um, Abram and Sarai, the childless couple that we have been introduced to, um, end up having a son because God intervenes in their lives, and their son's name is Isaac. And Isaac has a son, and his son's name is Jacob. And Jacob ends up having 12 sons, and their family becomes the people of Israel. But before they became a nation, Israel uh, was slaves in the land of Egypt. But then this thing called the Exodus happened. God sent Moses to liberate the Israelites. They crossed the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness for 40 years, and then they marched triumphantly into the land of Canaan. And once they were in Canaan, they became a nation. 
And soon under King David, they became a monarchy. But then you had some political differences and dissension. And so the kingdom split into two. And you got the northern kingdom represented in red on the map. And you got the southern kingdom represented in blue on the map. Now, as you know, God called the Israelites to be in a special relationship with him. Uh, Israel was supposed to be God's holy and chosen people, and they were supposed to represent God to the rest of the world. Except if you've read your Bibles, you know that Israel wasn't quite too good at this. In fact, they were downright terrible at this. Uh, Israel worshipped idols. Israel didn't take care of the poor. They didn't care about orphans or widows. Uh, Israel was just straight up wild, and as the kids today would say. Uh, But so God sent prophets to warn Israel, hey, you're messing up. Hey, Israel, you need to turn and you need to repent and you need to live into what I called you to. You need to become my people. And so the prophets went around the northern kingdom, they went around the southern kingdom and started to preach. Except the Israelites were like, no, we don't want to listen to the prophets. And so they just ignored them. And they continued on their trajectory and Israelites went into a downward spiral of sin and wickedness until God was too grieved and too angered that he decided to punish the Israelites by sending them into exile. He stripped them of their land. He stripped them of their national independence. And he scattered the people. The northern kingdom fell to this empire called Assyria. Assyria came in. They so completely destroyed the northern kingdom that never existed again in history. And as for the people, they arrested them and they deported them all the way to different areas in the world, including this place called Haran. And then you have the southern kingdom, years later, get attacked by the Babylonian empire. And the Babylonians come into the southern kingdom and they burn the temple, they steal the Ark of the Covenant, and then they arrest a bunch of their people and deport them into various areas, including this place called Ur. Now, I want you to imagine how tragic this might be. I mean, think about an army coming to Maple Valley Church and burning it down, God forbid, arresting the staff members, arresting Castle Brigade so that we can't rebuild it. And then they go to your house, they rip up all your life documents, they break your car, they arrest your family, and they make you move all the way east to a land you never want to go to, like New Jersey. Uh, Obviously... (laughs) New Jersey is a joke, but think about that concept of exile. Uh, This idea that overnight, your life is turned upside down, and you wake up and you have to start all over again. That's what happened to the Israelites. They lost their land. They lost their homes. They lost their tight-knit communities. They lost everything that they knew and loved. But worse, it appeared as if Israel has also lost its identity. Because remember, Israel's identity was rooted in being God's holy and chosen people. They were supposed to represent God to the world. Yet how was Israel supposed to do this if they were now exiled and if it seemed like God had forsaken and abandoned them? How could this be true of Israel when Israel was now a lifeless and barren people stuck in Ur and Haran and devoid of all hope? and promise. 20 years pass, 40 years pass, a whole 70 plus years pass, 
And the Israelites start to believe, man, we really did it this time. Maybe we have messed up too much. Maybe we have sinned so much that we have removed ourselves from the scope of God's grace. And this is the last word on our lives. This is the end of our story. Except something miraculous happens after all this while the Israelites were in exile. Um, If you remember, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation, and soon the Spirit of God also hovered over the chaos and the brokenness of the exiled community. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, a bunch of exiles started digging through old scrolls written by Moses, including this book called Genesis. Interesting. And so they started reading it, and they dug through, and they discovered two really interesting things about Genesis, and especially chapter 12. First, when God called Abram and Sarai, he called two people who had spent the last 70 plus years of their lives devoid of hope and promise. That sounds familiar, right? And God didn't just leave them there in despair, but God called them out of their land. God called them out of their cities. God called them out of their father's house. God called them out of the failures and disappointments that had become all too common in Ur and in Haran and told them to walk into a new possibility, a new reality, and a new land that God was about to show them. And the second thing the exiles realized was this. God didn't call Abram and Sarai because they were qualified. God didn't call them because they were special, and certainly God didn't call them because of the faithfulness of humanity. After all, in the previous chapter, they just built a tower. But God called Abram and Sarai, because God chose to do it without any reason, because God chose to be gracious to them. He took two broken people, representing a shattered and sinful humanity, and he promised them new land, great names, blessing, and that their descendants would become a mighty nation. And he kept this promise year after year despite their limitations, despite their infertility, despite their doubts, despite their fears, despite their sins, and despite the many sins that their children would commit time and time again. In short, what the exiles realized was that Ur and Haran We're not outside the scope of God's grace because this was the very place where God began his redemptive work all those years ago. Are you tracking with me here? This? Okay. (laughs) In other words, Israel thought they had messed up too much, that they were outside the scope of God's grace, that they went too far from the reach of God's love and mercy. Surely God won't call us out of Ur. Surely God won't call us out of Haran. These are too far away. But then they turn to the book of Genesis and they realize, wait, God already did what we said was improbable and impossible. Because all those years ago, God called our father and our mother. God called Abram and Sarai out of Ur and out of Haran. So maybe we're wrong. And maybe we have reason to hope that if God called them out, then God won't stop and God won't quit and God won't rest until he has called their children out as well. And not because Israel is special in any ways and not because Israel is qualified in any ways and certainly not because Israel is faithful, but because of the faithfulness of God. 
and that alone ensured that perhaps Israel's fall and Israel's punishment would not be the last word upon their lives, that the exile would not be the end of their story, and that recreation was on the horizon for them too. Now, you might be thinking, that's a great story, Joe, and we're so glad that we recapped the Old Testament this morning. That's what I want to do on Sundays. But what does this have to do with us today? And I want to suggest it has everything to do with us today because when God made the promise to Abram and Sarai, God also said this, through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. God's plan for recreation wasn't just for Abram's family. It wasn't just for Sarai. It wasn't just for the Israelites, but it was for the whole world. You see, the exiles didn't hope in vain because God indeed met them. After 70 years, God came to Ur, God came to Haran, and he called them out, just like he called out Abram and Sarai. And he brought them out of the exiled land and returned them back home. And once the Israelites were home, they started waiting for their next Adam, their next Noah, their next Abram, the next righteous and blameless one of his generation except they got something better than they could hope for because they didn't just get the righteous and blameless one of his generation. They got the righteous and blameless one of all generations, Jesus Christ. And that fourfold pattern we've been talking about of creation, fall, punishment, and recreation is made complete in him. In Jesus Christ, we have a new creation. In Jesus Christ, we have the Holy One who avoided the temptation of the fall. In Jesus Christ, we have the perfect one who took on our punishment. And in Jesus Christ, we who find ourselves lost and abandoned and exiled have the hope for recreation and have become children of God through him. I know that's a lot of material that we just went through this morning. So if you forget most of it, as statistics say you will, that's totally fine and I won't be upset. But if you remember anything from this morning, I just want you to take away these three things because these three things are the main points that I want to make. Uh, the first point is this. Remember that problem I left hanging about the hope for recreation resting on Abram and Sarai's shoulders. Well, the message of Genesis and one of the main messages of the Old Testament is that the hope for recreation does not rest on Abram's shoulders, and it doesn't rest on Sarai's shoulders, and it doesn't rest on your shoulders either. In fact, you are Abram, you are Sarai, you are the exiles. You too have tried to produce life for yourselves, but you failed. You, true, you too have also tried to make good for yourselves, but you failed. You tried, you try, and you try again, and now you're at the end of your rope. But good news, God answers failure with grace time and time again. So our hope for recreation is not in vain because it rests on his shoulders alone. The second point I want to make is that if you come today feeling like you are outside the scope of God's grace and care, then remember the message today. God called Abram and Sarai out of Ur and Haran God called their children out of exiled lands because the place of despair and doubt and fear and sin is the very place where God begins his redemptive work in you. So if you feel that your sin is too great, if you feel like the situations of your life have made you believe that God has forsaken you, if you're watching online this morning and you are among God's elect scattered throughout the world, 
and you have no place to lay your head, and you are suffering persecution day in and day out. My friends, if you come this morning and your life is nothing but chaos and your soul is confused and afraid, then let me suggest that you look up because the spirit of God is hovering over your chaos and your brokenness. And it's saying to you this, that Jesus Christ, the one who had no place to lay his head, loves you and died for you. And he descended into hell for you and rose again victorious on the third day for you to give you new life. Good news, right? That's such good news. So your sin and your pain may run deep. And I don't want to discount that this morning. I know we suffer painful things and we suffer quite a bit in ways that can't be captured in words. But hear the good news today. That while your sin and your pain may run deep, God's grace runs deeper for you and it reaches out to you. And the last point I want to make is this. Just as God called out Abram and just as God called out Sarai and just as God called out the exiles, God calls his church today in Jesus Christ. And he calls you and I to go. Go to the place where God is showing you. Situate your life in the place that God has plans for you. Pack up your stuff and leave behind your lifeless situation and walk in faith into the new possibility that God has made possible for you in his son. God wants you to say, I'm in to the new things he wants to do in your life. God wants you to say, I'm in to the new things God wants to do at Maple Valley Church. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but today. Abram and Sarai could have never imagined what their obedience would have amounted to. But I want you to look around you today and look around the world today. There are thousands and millions of Christians worshiping and praising God for his goodness and faithfulness and living their lives as a response to what he has done for them. And this all happened because two people, two normal people stepped out in faith and decided to believe that God was greater than their limitations and God was greater than their expectations. Do we believe that today, Maple Valley Church? I want to encourage you to believe the good news today, Maple Valley Church, that in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. No longer exiles, but beloved by God and children of God. So go, pack up your stuff, leave behind your herbs, leave behind your harans, and walk into a new reality that God has made possible for you. Because Maple Valley Church, you were created and made for more life, more love, and more God. Thanks be to God. Oh, let me pray. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Holy God, we thank you for gathering us together. And we thank you so much that you did not leave us in despair and in doubt and in these exiled lands, but that you called us out, that you called us out to you and that in your son, we are beloved children of God. And so God, I ask that we would not just receive that grace, but that we would respond, that this grace would cause us to pack up our things and to move forward into the life that you have for us, to say, I'm into your kingdom work.
that we would be your representatives on this earth. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, in whom you are pleased. Amen.